Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We're so grateful that you're joining us today. The conversation is called, Where Are We Going? Enjoy. We're going to get into groups. You're going to find three or four people around you. If you already came with those people, stay in those groups for the sake of uh, social distancing. And we're going to be answering this question with one another. Where do you hope to get to by 2021? It's a very broad question. Feel free to answer that however you would like. Enjoy. Where are we going is a question that I'm constantly obsessed with for what it means to be human, to ask bigger questions about our evolution and our growth. And as I think about this idea of where are we going, I always think about the prayer of Jesus. That Jesus says these words in the Sermon on the Mount, our Father who art in heaven, may your name be kept holy. That your name is always holy. It's other, it's hallowed, it's something different. It is beyond us. And we keep thanking that thing and offering gratitude for that thing so that we have a bigger perspective in the world. Would your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? This is not a prayer for us to get to heaven one day. This is a prayer for heaven to come to earth. This is a prayer that this God God's reality, that this God's perspective would be inhabiting all of our doing and being as human beings. These are incredibly radical words by Jesus to a people group who are occupied by the Roman military, people who are seeking liberation, who wanted to be seen as human, who wanted a greater value as made in the image of God, that these are not just simple normalized words by Jesus. This is an invitation into a radical reality. Give us this day our day bread, right? Forgive us our trespasses so that we may forgive those who trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, that the whole thing is radical, that the whole thing is gratitude, that the whole thing is a bigger ask. And I believe that the whole thing invites us into a new reality so that we can ask this bigger question with one another of where are we going? Not only as individuals, but where are we going corporately as human beings? So to answer that question, we gotta talk about some things. We gotta talk about where are we going? We got to also build a different reality. Uh, Then if we're gonna build a different reality, then we're gonna talk about Elon Musk. You saw where I was going there. (laughs) Then if we're gonna talk about Elon Musk, then we're gonna talk about from. And if we can talk about what we're moving from, then we can look at these interesting parallels between 1968 and 2020. Then, of course, it is the 51st anniversary of the Stonewall riots, so we'll talk about Stonewall today. And then if we're going to do talk about some riots, then we got to think about some bigger questions. And those bigger questions will always lead us to why and to who and to where. And then if we're talking about where we're going, then, of course, we're going to end at Mars. Here's a normal sermon on a Sunday morning. As I obsess over this prayer of Jesus, for me, it's always this obsession of reality and perspective, that Jesus is inviting us into something radical, that Jesus is inviting us into something radical that we are supposed to build. Would your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? This is not just that God is going to build this new kingdom. It's saying that we're asking for a different perspective so that we can be participants in building this kingdom here too. Kingdom is not a helpful language for us because none of us live in kingdoms. So instead, I I like to use the word reality or perspective. 
allow me to have a different perspective of this world? And if my perspective was different, then how would I build out a different reality? That I think uh, that we're in this unique time where we're asking these bigger questions about humanity. And most of us at New Abbey, not all, but let's just be honest, we're a little bit more of a progressive community. And progressivism is doing wonderful things in the world, but honestly, sometimes the weakness of progressivism is that we spend so much energy talking about what we're moving away from. We wanna analyze that thing, beat that thing down, uproot everything. We'll spend so much time and energy there, and the weakness of progressivism is generally anger, right? The weakness of conservatism is fear. So there's always a shadow side to wherever your consciousness is. And so I'm speaking that to most of us in this room, that the shadow side for us is that we're living in anger about the past. I love Desmond Tutu. He says this, it's not forgive and forget. It's forgive and never forget. Never forget what happened to you. Always tell those stories so that it never happens again. Should you forgive? Should you seek repair and reconciliation? Of course you should, but keep telling the stories. But at some point, if we're gonna keep telling the stories of what we're moving from, we eventually have to ask bigger questions of what we're building and what we're moving towards, right? The harder work is always building what we're moving towards and not just naming what we're moving from. Let me say that again. The harder work is always building what we're moving towards and not just naming what we're moving from. We can endlessly name what we're moving from. I've been in therapy since the dawn of time, it feels like, and I have paid a lot of therapist mortgages. So I have endlessly analyzed the past in my own personal life, right? I have asked every question, looked at all of my family of origins, addressed addictions in my life, done inner child work. Boy, was that fun. I've done some stuff there. And eventually I got to a point in my therapy where it was this. I can keep analyzing the past where I'm from. I can name all of those parts, but eventually I have to live my life and take ownership for what's going on with me. And some of that is I have kids coming. When they have their own shit that they got to go to therapy for, am I going to say, well, you see my family of origin and what your grandparents and great? No, no, no. I got to talk about what happened with me and how I affected them. I got to build some new realities in my life. I can spend all of this energy over here. I can constantly be angry over here, but eventually I need to move forward and towards something else. Now, let me say this. There's a time to be angry. We are in a time where you should be angry. Be angry. Do all of that work. Feel that work. So often in the world of church, we're telling people, oh, don't be angry. Don't, that's not what God wants from you. Screw that. Be angry. Be mad, be frustrated. The world is unjust. We're naming those realities. Keep doing that, keep feeling that, keep naming that. Do all of the research. If you don't know about segregation and Jim Crow and Juneteenth and 400 years of systemic racism, read a book, listen to a podcast, watch the 13th. You have endless sets of resources. If when I say Stonewall and Stonewall riots, you're like, man, what were they building? What kind of walls? No, you missed it. Go do some research right? And where 51 years ago to this day, this is really where the LGBTQ community began pride, began having different conversations about how they stand up for themselves in a world that was legislating against um, the homosexual community in the 1960s. You have the opportunities to educate yourself. 
whether that's personally or corporately, and you should go do the work. And as you're doing that work, not after, because it's never finished, by the way. You don't like get to the end of Wikipedia, I am done, right? (laughs) I have listened to all of the podcasts. This is what woke looks like. No, you keep growing, you keep evolving, you keep, I love that someone's laughing at that so badly. This is what woke looks like, yeah. Feel free to use my picture and tag that. I'm sure I will not get any, you know, harsh criticism back for that. Um, But there's a reality of, but then how do you also at the same time move towards something? How do you ask bigger questions about where are you gonna go? What are you gonna build? Because it's harder work to build something. It is easier at times just to burn things down. It is way harder now to offer a new imagination of where we might be going. There's three paths right now for humanity that we really see ourselves on. There is the first path of preservation. We are trying to preserve some things. There are millions of Americans in this country where we'd say conservatism. They are conserving or preserving something, not because they're evil or ignorant or malicious, but because it's working for them. That's why you preserve it. That's why you conserve it. It's not a political ideology. This is just what human beings do. Uh, And so they're putting a lot of energy into preserving or conserving the thing that works for them. There's another path, which is reform it. This thing is actually not working for everybody. We shouldn't preserve it. We shouldn't conserve it. And we want to offer new options for what the thing might look like. Um, To give you a good example of that, you're at a place like New Abbey. We're reforming something. That is even the history that we come from as many Protestants. We are protesting something that wasn't working for everybody. And so we create a new reality that might work for us. It's so much of what the American dream was supposed to be. Uh, You reform the thing that you came from. And now there's a third path that's always been there, but we're much more aware of it in the moment. And that is the path of abolish it. There's the realization of this thing can actually not be reformed. It cannot be changed. So we are going to uproot it because it causes so much damage in the world. This thing that we're uprooting, we might be uprooting it because systemically, right? It was created to oppress and repress people. And we just think this is how it ought to be because it's always been here. No, many revolutions in this world have abolished something in order to create something new. I'm not here to tell you in your individual life or your corporate life what is to be preserved, what is to be reformed, and what is to be abolished. You're all capable human beings where you must make choices about how you're doing that. For me, even in my own individual life, right, my family of origin, I spent lots of lots of work because of family trauma, because of being molested, because of emotional abuse, where I wanted to reform the thing. This thing didn't work for my life. And everyone told me here, no, you just have to accept that we're family. I was like, well, it's not exactly what I want family to look like, right? Or they'd be like, but we love you. No thank you to that love, right? And so for me, I went on a long path where I could not reform it. And some of it was abolishing it. That was incredibly painful for me. That took years and years of work. Now that's not true of every segment of my life, but that's an example of this segment. We have hard choices to make, but I could just sit there and abolish the thing and not build something new. Instead, more importantly, I know what I abolish because I know every day the type of home that I want my children to grow up in. I know every day the type of marriage that I want to have, the intentionality, the support, the care, right? 
And I've spent years in dismissive and demeaning environments and those things are rooted in me that that's how I want to treat sometimes the people that are closest to me. And I have to work to uproot that, right? And offer a different kind of kingdom and a different kind of way that works for everybody, even in the system of my home. Now, doing that in a home takes a lot of energy. Doing that in the world takes even more energy and it takes more than one person doing it. And so we have to ask ourselves as we're invited into this prayer of Jesus, which path are we going to take here? And if we choose a path of reform or a path of abolishing it, do we have a broad enough imagination to think of a different reality or perspective of what this thing could be? That thing will take time. It will take a lot of work but it's possible. It has always been possible in the history of humanity. And so it brings me to Elon Musk. You saw where I was going there. I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast the other day, and this was one about a month ago between Joe Rogan and Elon Musk, and they're talking about all kinds of crazy different things. Uh, and one of the things that they begin to talk about is that um, Elon Musk, uh, about five years ago, he had bought up a house in Beverly Hills, and they begin to buy up all of the surrounding houses in that neighborhood in Beverly Hills, as most of us would do, um, because he wanted to build himself like a Tony Stark mad billionaire house, like with like stealth, like helicopters and stuff. This is real, by the way. If you have $60 billion, we'll ask questions later. So he's saying that he was doing this, but eventually he has sold all of his possessions and he has just come to a place of being incredibly minimal. And his reason for that was, I want to, and he's like totally a numbers, math and science guy, right? He's like, I'm wasting brain cycles on thinking about the house that I might build. He's like, first of all, there's other people in the world who might enjoy that home more than me. So why am I gonna, I don't even care about the thing. Why am I spending time thinking about it, right? It's just a distraction. And second of all, I'm gonna sell all my possessions because my job in the world is to get humanity to Mars. To Mars. <laughs> this is real. He sold his homes in Beverly Hills, all of his possessions, because unequivocally, his mission in life is to get humanity to Mars. That should blow your mind more than a little bit, all right? How focused he was on that. He understood, I can sit around and talk about how NASA's not doing their part and we need to develop more powerful rockets and what does that mean? And we need to increase our speed if we're gonna get humanity to Mars in a shorter distance than six months. I've obviously read a few articles on this, right? Um, instead, he went and built, right, um, SpaceX so that they could design things so that they could get to Mars in a reasonable amount of time so that human beings could inhabit it so that we have more options in case Planet A doesn't work out for us. This is something that somebody is working on right now. That's crazy, right? Where are we going? For Elon Musk, it's Mars. And he is using all of his energy to get us there, to employ people, to advance science and math, to ask bigger questions about where are we going? And I'm a big believer in this, that even if we get to Mars, we can still be assholes. Jesus is always needed. We can have technological advancements in this world, but how do we treat one another? My Mars has always been, I believe in the church. I believe in a Jesus community. I believe in the capacity for God to heal, transform, and mature our lives in ways that we cannot simply do on our own, that we need something beyond ourselves. And I am committed and have been committed for seven years of my life to building this community because that's my Mars. And it's taken a lot of work. And it's required a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and it's sacrifice. That's 
My, where are we going? And every day I wake up and I ask myself simply this question, is it worth it? And that answer continues to be yes, day after day after day. I'll take a little clap. Thanks, Frankie, that's kind of you. A nice clap really keeps me coming. I was already at 11 out of 10, so like, well, it's, you know, try to ratchet it down to a seven right there. That'll be nice. Pentecostal praise back there, Frankie Anthony Velasquez. And so we're asking this bigger question of where are we going? But again, when we're doing that, let's also be reminded of what we're moving from. There's these powerful parallels between 1968 and 2020. There was a lot going on in the world that began to create this domino effect of domino after domino after domino of us, of us as human beings asking bigger questions about who we are. There was the Vietnam War, where young people in that generation were asking the bigger question, where they were not buying into the myth of manifest destiny and America's greatness, and that if we choose to get into a war, that it's just the highest moral value for the rest of the world. That generation said, really? Why are we even in this thing in the first place? Is this really about democracy? Is this really about us being like, you know, police force for the world? And there was a lot of other conversations around the economics of it. There was questions of why are we spending billions of dollars abroad where we had a half a million soldiers in another country to fight for an ideology that we're even uncertain about, but at home we're not feeding and caring for our own people. And so questions began to arise that were already building in, 19, in the 1960s. It's very similar that in our world, everything with the pandemic began to put a pressure pot on our ideologies and it began to allow many of us to ask bigger questions about how the world actually works. How is it that we can continue to spend trillions of dollars on corporations over the last two months, and there are still people in our country who can't afford food? Where's our value sets at? And we're beginning to see these realities in different ways. You have assassinations in 1968, that there are deaths of certain people that spark greater questions about the vision of where we're going. From Martin Luther King Jr. in April of 1968 to Bobby Kennedy in June of 1968, these were two leaders who epitomized, right, this greater vision and reality of where human beings could be at in the United States of America, and their lives were taken from them. From the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, right, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd from a much more grassroots place, we're saying to this world that we cannot kill these people, that they represent, right, a bigger swath of humanity who we're not caring for. There's just parallel after parallel after parallel where the pressure is on and bigger questions are being asked, right? There's uh, just a year later at the Stonewall Inn, the Stonewall riots begin as police brutally and violently enter into a bar and attack people. And then on day one, there's hundreds of people who show up outside and say, you cannot attack people for being gay. We cannot criminalize or legislate harm and violence against other human beings because you hate them. And we cannot weaponize forces that are supposed to protect us that we're paying tax dollars for to go hurt Americans that we actually value. The next day, more than three precincts showed up of NYPD and then more than a thousand people kept their bodies there that day to say, no, we're committed to this effort. And it's the efforts of those days, 51 years ago to today, that right just six years ago in this country, LGBTQ folks had the opportunity to legally be married. That was somebody's Mars. That was somebody's commitment. 
that it's not just about me waking up on those days for this riot, that liberation is a long process, that freedom will cost something. And day after day and year after year and decade after decade, we're gonna keep doing the hard work until our brothers and sisters are set free. Wherever you find yourself in that narrative, we're gonna keep doing the work. That same year, there was riots going on all around the country, in the South, in in Los Angeles, and in Detroit. And Lyndon Johnson began to ask these questions publicly to America. He said, I wanna know why it happened. I wanna know what happened. And I wanna keep asking the question of what happened so that never ever happens again. He was asking questions that he wasn't ready to receive the answers for. And in 2020, we're still asking questions that we're not ready to receive the answers for. The whys and the what's have happened are because of hundreds of years of systemic racism. And it will require lots of people, very much including white people, to ask bigger questions about the systems that we have implicitly and complicitly taken part of, where the world has worked for us and where we've been unknowingly preserving something, even though it has not worked for many other people in our country. And so we have to ask bigger questions for ourselves. That again, Jesus is always inviting us into bigger questions. The role of New Abbey is to never give you better answers for your life. It is always to help you ask better questions for your life. That's very different. Again, Jesus was asked 178 questions and he answered two. Instead, he responded with like 212 questions. Talk about a headache, right? (laughs) He was a good Jewish thinker. He was a good rabbi. He was always spurring on more questions. Why? So that you had to participate and wrestle with the thing. So that you had to ask bigger questions about the bigger realities and perspectives that you actually want to build in this world. And so Jesus always invites us into a bigger why as we move away what we're working from. And I think the why of Jesus for so many of us was rooted in you're bad, you're a sinner. So the why of Jesus is dying on a cross to save you from your sins. Here's a fun little Google search for you later. Find where Jesus ever says that in the gospels. And let me tell you what that Google search will show you. Zero times. Isn't that interesting that that's the narrative that you are given about the why of Jesus and Jesus never talks about that? Fascinating. Isn't that interesting that Jesus will talk about many times about this kingdom of God. That's the invitation that we have in this prayer. But powerful people have co-opted the story of Jesus so that we don't change reality. Jesus is inviting us to change these kingdoms because these kingdoms don't work for anybody. That's why Jesus came to do what Jesus did. In John 10, 10, Jesus says something very different. Jesus says, I have come so that you may have life, life to the full. I did not come because you're a horrible sinner. I came because everybody deserves life, all people. And as I like to say, the Greek for all is all. Nobody is left out of that. Life to the full is literally the Greek word there where every square inch, every last corner of this thing is satisfied, filled, brimming over. That's what Jesus came to do, to make sure that every human being actually has life. And those realities are still being worked out to this day that every generation in a new way arrives to where they're at and whatever you are given. And you have to say that prayer again, would your kingdom come and your will be done to challenge what is being conserved and preserved in your world so that you may reform or abolish it so that everybody might have life. 
There are people, again, out there building rocket ships to go to Mars. They're reforming some things, asking some bigger questions about the trajectory of who we are as human beings. And we have to participate in this work as well. That the why of Jesus is so vitally important to me. Because for me, I've spent years in talking about the thing that I want to move away from. The thing I wanted to move away from for so long was just bad news was a story of God that said that God just somehow hated you. And the only way this God would be happier is if Jesus died a bloody death. And the more that I read the words of Jesus, the more I realized Jesus didn't even talk about this. So where did we get that narrative from? And if your answer for you, one passage from Paul in 1 Corinthians, go look it up. The rest of the Bible doesn't talk about it. That should also blow your mind, right? That there's always been a bigger story of good news that Jesus is inviting us into. Jesus also just didn't talk to us about ideology. Jesus always invited us into building these new systems and this new world. And he did that by asking Jesus, his followers to follow him, right? To go where he was going. That if there was a Samaritan there or a woman caught in adultery or someone demon possessed, right? Maybe for the conservative world, we would say if it's a Black Lives Matter protest or a kid sitting in a cage in a border or the LGBTQ community to understand, that's where Jesus would take you. And for whatever progressives, Jesus would take you the other way. He'd probably like sit you down with Trump in the White House and you'd be like, ooh, you know, um, it's orange in here. So, <laughs> Jesus. Jesus just takes us to different realities and Jesus always takes us to the reality of the place of how do we love and see humanity in a bigger and broader way. And then we need to ask the bigger questions, well, what do we wanna be for in this? And the why of the for is always good news. It's always this reality of seeing humanity made in a bigger image. And if we can nail down the why, whatever your why is, is my challenge to all of us today. The why for me is telling the biggest story of God possible. That is not just simply a mission statement at New Abbey. I believe that that thing is lived out, not just by some simple words, but when I look around at the beautiful diversity of our community. The biggest story of God being told possible is not coming from my lips. It's coming from your lives. It's coming from your social media accounts. It's coming from your relationships. It's coming from the types of jobs that you're choosing. It's coming from your radical generosity. It's coming of your endless work to ask bigger questions because if you conserve this thing over here, other people will suffer for it. And you're doing the hard work even when it makes you uncomfortable. You are telling the biggest story of God possible in Los Angeles in this world in 2020. And I'm proud of that. And we're gonna keep putting effort there because that's the why that I care about. And if you can answer a why for your life, what's your Mars? What's the thing that you wanna put all of your energy behind? What would you sell all of your possessions for? When you find that thing, know that that thing comes out of the who of who you are. The who for me is that I grew up in a fundamentalist religious family that were abusive and they were the only ones going to heaven and that didn't sit right with me. It was the reality that I grew up in wealthy white suburban Colorado and life worked well for me, but it didn't work well for others around me. It was the moment in 2012 when a young 19 year old black man told me something that changed the trajectory of my life. I was working at my other church and I told this story in here so many times and I'll keep telling it. And there was this like small Italian man who kept bringing all these young black men to church and that just like, he was this dude in his neighborhood. And none of these young guys stuck at my predominantly white church that I used to work at. 
And so this young 19-year-old man one day, he's, he's 250 pounds, he's 6'5", he's black, he's dressed different than everyone else who's there. He stuck out like a sore thumb. So I beelined it to him after my sermon. I just said, what was today like for you? And he said, everybody here was very nice to me. And I'm sure if I came long enough, somebody would invite me to lunch. But he's like, you know, man, no one here will ever let me date their daughter. And it ruined me in the best way. That's the biggest story of God possible. When we can so see another human being as a human being that we would give up the most treasured parts of ourselves that, the, that they're accepted and that they could accept who we are. That's a radically different kingdom that Jesus invites us into. And literally since that moment, I was, sometimes I wish like I could find this kid or even know his name and tell him like, you've changed the course of my life. You said something so profound that eight years of higher education never got me. You got the essence of Jesus and Jesus's kingdom at such an intuitive level. And I want more of that. I wanna figure out how to go build that thing. And I've been angry a lot of times at everyone else who's trying to prevent that thing. And I've worked through that and now it's like, okay, but how do we go create this thing over here? There's all these moments in my life of who I am that uniquely make Corey Corey that I want to go tell the biggest story of God possible. What's the thing that you're doing? What's, who are you and who are you so uniquely that this is the why that you must fulfill, that you're gonna give everything to, whether that's your family or your vocation or a vision that you have, but today is that moment, that 2020 is not a year where it puts those visions on pause, but this is the year where the pressure cooker builds and you're gonna go give your life to it. And we want to unleash that in you. We want to empower that in you because that's where the world is gonna change. That each and every one of us have a powerful why that lives into the greater reality and perspective that Jesus is inviting us into that each and every one of us is a unique who, right, of who we are, that has something fresh to offer the world, that your voice is powerful, your life is powerful, and will you go do that? And if you can answer the who, then you can talk about the what in a different way. That the what of it, right, is for me so powerful because it's the thing that requires so much work. And the what of it will not be finished in a day. The riots at Stonewall Inn 51 years ago, the what of what the LGBTQ community and allies have been doing for 51 years is still going on. Black Lives Matter, right, 52 years after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. are still advocating for things that have not changed in the United States of America. New Abbey is a place that is saying the church still has a voice in our life, but we don't accept, right, the bigotry, the hate, the judgment over here because that is actually oppressive and repressive, that we're gonna move away from those repressive and oppressive theologies. And this is a commercial break, but let me go here with you. Original sin, which is not an orthodox original idea of Christian church, just so you know, Google the shit out of it if you want to, is one of the most powerful tools used by the evangelical church so that change never happens. Because all it's saying is, back there somewhere, there's some people who didn't have belly buttons and they talked to a magical snake and ate something from a magical tree. And because of that, that you have no control over, you have no future now. And even the future that we might have later, God actually hates this world and can't wait to rapture us out of here. That theology has robbed a past and a future and prevents people from participating in Jesus's prayer. 
So we participate in a greater reality that says, no, we don't buy that. That's not even what the story of the fall is about. The story of the fall is about Babylonian captivity and Israel realizing a story and a narrative that helps them understand why they've been in exile and captivity. Feel free to go read some books. Great. And the story of the future is God bringing us into a reality, not as not filled with apocalypse, but filled with a world where, right, there's a king, that God's kingdom is, is, is realizing for all of us that we're made in the image of God, is that you may have life to the full. Those are very different narratives. And the what, as you figure that stuff out, as you work through your past, as you determine your why, as you understand who you are, will take a lot of work. And what are the specific steps that you need to take to go build your why? And so I end with this. Mars. I've been obsessed with Mars for the last month that I heard that. And I think our world is groaning and crying out right now for a far greater trajectory, saying that the current landing space that we're in is not working for anybody. We have a much bigger view of our world, of our solar system, and of our galaxy and universe, literally from like a scientific point of view, right? And if we can have such a broad perspective of where humanity might actually live, how do we not have a broader perspective about human rights? How do we not have a broader perspective about our economics? How do we not have a broader perspective about justice and about morality? If we're going to go to Mars, everybody's going with us, right? There's a bigger reality that we get to live into. So what's your Mars in 2020? What's the thing that you're gonna give up everything for? Because the world needs your unique voice. If your Mars in 2020 is dealing with all of your family origins and pain, get in therapy, do the work, talk to a friend. If your Mars in 2020 is recognizing whiteness in you, read some books, go get on, right? uh, Go listen to some podcasts, go watch Netflix. They've literally created a Black Lives Matter category for you. It doesn't matter what the thing is. What matters is that we're all gonna go somewhere better together because we're listening to this prayer of Jesus that we're all invited into it. And that's uniquely you and uniquely us. Are we gonna keep doing the work? I wasn't planning on saying this, but here's how I'm gonna end. Um, Every day there's somebody's social media who I'm so moved by. And it's it's David Simi and I I look at his social media every day and as he just keeps reminding the world that he's, Man, I, I like get my emotions together to talk about it because like I literally like, look at this thing and like cry every day. Yeah, he keeps posting this thing of, yep, social media feeds are back to normal. They're back to normal. And they are back to normal. That liberation and the hard work is hard and it takes blood and sweat. And I'm thankful for whatever real, David, this is so weird. You're not even here, so I don't know I'm doing this. For whatever you're going through, that you're teaching us, that you're asking a bit bigger why and that you're gonna be relentless in it. Keep being relentless. The world needs voices of people being relentless for Black Lives Matter so that we don't go back to the thing that we're preserving, so that we don't go back to normal because normal doesn't work. So whatever you're doing, whatever your Mars is, be relentless. Don't stop talking about it. Don't go back to normal and here's why. This is your only life. You're never gonna get another one. If you don't like how the world is and what's going on, be relentless. Find that why. There is not another today. There is not another tomorrow. This is it. Live this life to the fullest is what Jesus came to live it in. And I am passionate about that. 
And now I'm just done preaching. My back's sweaty. Find three or four people around you. Answer this question. What questions will help you get to your Mars? Find those same people that you were talking with before. Click on the connect with us link or they'll put a link up in the Zoom bio. Um, and we'll get back together soon. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.